We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's been about a month since we've been here. And uh, in this chapter right here, in verses 1 and 2, we... We saw Paul's folly and that he was going to boast. And, you know, he says, I feel like a fool, but you kind of forced me to. In verse 3, we saw Paul's fear where he said, I'm afraid, like, just the way the devil deceived Eve, that you might get deceived. And so he had a, a fear of that. In, in verse 4, we saw Paul's faith where, you know, in a nutshell for us as Christians, you know, it's about the, you know, about who Jesus is. And he says, I... Uh, man, you guys might put up with it if someone preaches a different Jesus or a different spirit or a different gospel, you know. And and so we're learning these things, but but now in one sense we focus a little bit more on Paul's uh, foes, those enemies of his. And in a nutshell, let me just share this with you, just to kind of give you the little setup for the study. You know, we really do want you to go to heaven, really do. Okay. Um, I, I just have seen in life, I've seen people sit in seats like you and then drift away to where they don't, you know, come back to church or they're not serving in the ministry. And I've even seen some go into different religions and, you know, there's a debate on whether or not they really knew the Lord and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the Lord knows those who are His. But for us, our heart here is that every single one of you would go to heaven, you know? And at the same time, I think that you probably know our heart is that not only would you go to heaven, but whatever it is that God has you to do on earth, to be on earth, that you would, that you wouldn't miss that, that, that one day, whatever, 30, 40, 50, 60 years from now, you, you know, you're there on your deathbed and you're looking back and you think, man, I wasted my life because I didn't serve the Lord. You see, for us as a church, I think for Paul as a minister, that was his heart, right? But the devil is on the other side, and he wants, you know, to take you to hell. He wants to ruin your life. He wants to ruin your marriage, and he wants to destroy you. And so there's this tug of war going on. And, and so in a large part, that's kind of what today's study has to deal with. Paul was right there in the middle of the battle, and as we go through our study today, Lord William will cover verses 5 through 15. We're going to see in verses 5 through 6 who Paul was, who Paul was. He was an apostle. In verses 7 through 10, we're going to see what Paul did, what Paul did, and it's pretty impressive. And then number 3, we're going to see why Paul did it in verses 11 through 15. So let's look first of all at who Paul was. Notice here in verse 5, 2 Corinthians 11, he says, For... I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Paul here, he says, when it comes to apostles, um, by the grace of God, to be honest with you, I don't feel inferior to even the most eminent apostles, right? Um, he doesn't say he's superior. He just says, I don't feel inferior to them. 
right? Because what was going on was the, some of the guys had gone to the congregation there in Corinth and they said, Paul's not an apostle. He's not an apostle. He's not like Peter. He's not like James. He's not like John. They were even saying, he's not like us, right? They were kind of puffing themselves up. And, and Paul here says, you know what? In all honesty, when I look at my life, I don't feel inferior to the most imminent apostle. You see, this was an issue for Paul. Uh, even in his first letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, he said, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. I mean, Paul started the church in there in Corinth. He was definitely an apostle, right? And, and they should have known that. They shouldn't have doubted. Um, but unfortunately, they did. As a matter of fact, even in Second Corinthians, if you go over like one page, probably just one page, look at chapter 12. In verse 11, he says there, I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and in mighty deeds. I mean, all he's saying is that, you know, in all reality, come on, guys. You guys know that by the grace of God, he even says there, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, but I am an apostle. See, and he's trying to establish that, and we're going to see why as we go through our text today. You know, but here we are close to 2,000 years later, and we can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, Paul, your assessment of your apostleship was correct you're right there. You're with Peter. You're with James. You're with John. We clearly see you were called. You're one of the 12. We see that so clearly. You planted so many churches. You wrote so much of the Bible, your messages, your missions trips, the miracles that were done through you, even the way you died, your martyrdom. You're definitely not inferior to the most eminent apostle. Even though he acknowledged the fact that he was nothing, he knew his God-given calling and responsibility in the church. You know, and that's important, you guys. Not because he was trying to buff himself up, but because he had a job to do. You know, last time we studied this, we made that point. For Paul, it wasn't a power trip. It was a missions trip. I'm going. I'm called. I'm living because I want you to go to heaven. And we're going to see later, he says, and nothing is going to stop me. Nothing. And so he says, this is who I am. I'm not superior. I'm one of the 12. I'm not inferior to them. I am an apostle. And this is important, right? Um, because if you're taking notes, you might want to jot down Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. A very important passage where it says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You see, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles. What does that mean? That means that we're built on the doctrine and the teaching and the truths that have been given to us in apostolic history. See, and so for us, if it's the apostles' truth, and we even use that word, apostles' creed, 
then we got to know who the apostles are. And Paul says, I, by the grace of God, I'm an apostle, right? That's the link to the Lord. I mean, we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was an apostle. We know John was. Mark got his information from Peter. Luke got his information from all the guys that were walking with the Lord. You know, Paul, James, John, they wrote the scriptures that we have in the New Testament. And you see, that that's how we know that we are hearing the message of Jesus. Because these guys were apostles of Jesus. So if one day someone comes in and they say, well, I don't think he's an apostle of Jesus, then they're attacking the very core and foundation of the truth. And so Paul, he says, no, I'm sorry, man. I am, by the grace of God, I'm an apostle. He says, I'm not the best speaker. I mean, he's open to that. Look what he says there in verse 6. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in, in knowledge. You know, he, he admitted he wasn't the greatest speaker. You know, he hadn't studied the fancy ways of sophisticated communication. He wasn't perhaps an eloquent man. And in Corinth, they looked for that. They looked for the eloquence. And so since he didn't have it, they looked down on him. Uh, we even read, if you go back to chapter 10, in verse 10, look what it says. It says, for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. I mean, um, when you look at Paul's letters, he looked pretty good, but... Some people say maybe he wasn't like all that good at grammar. He wasn't uh, all that skilled in his communication, right? And so, you know, for that reason, they rejected him. And and I, I don't think Paul really, however, had a problem with not being the best speaker, right? And you guys, we shouldn't really look for that either. We got to be careful, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, what matters most is not how you say, but what you say. It, it shouldn't matter if the preacher is eloquent. What matters most is whether or not, you know, what the preacher is saying is true, right? It doesn't have to be fancy word. It, it just needs to be God's word. And I pray that you would always hunger after God's word in your heart, right? I mean, here Paul says in verse 6, I'm untrained in speech, but I'm not in knowledge. And that's what's more important, the content, the content. You see, Paul definitely knew the Bible. He definitely knew the truth. He was trained it as a young child. Uh, his parents were not only Jews. Uh, we're going to see next week, Lord willing, they were Hebrews. And what that means is they knew uh, the Jewish culture. They knew the Jewish language. And so when Paul studied the Old Testament, he studied it in its original language. And so he learned it from his parents, and they taught him in the original language. Later on, as he went into higher education, it says that he sat at the feet of a rabbi named uh, Gamaliel. Now Gamaliel, according to Acts chapter 22, verse 3, was the one that he sat under as he learned the scriptures under the strictness of his father's law. And in Acts 5.34, it says that that man was esteemed. And so if you could picture the best Christian teacher in America, kind of like that, and someone sitting under him, 
And you know what was so cool? In, in history, Gamaliel tells us the only problem I have with Paul is I couldn't give him enough books to read. Imagine that. So here's a student sitting under the greatest rabbi, and that rabbi saying he surpasses me. Let me tell you something. Paul may not have been an eloquent speaker, but man, he had a lot of knowledge. Not only did he learn from his parents or Hebrews, I learned from the, one of the best teachers around, but he learned from Jesus himself. And we get that understanding the very day he was saved in the book of Acts chapter 9. Imagine that, you guys, you're looking up at the sun. And how many of you here wear sunglasses? Just out of curiosity. All you who are cool, you wear sunglasses, right? I'm not cool for whatever reason. I don't wear them, but I should probably start. Anyways, you know, you're looking up at the sun. And then imagine next to the sun, there's a brighter light. That was Jesus. That was the day in Acts chapter 9 when Jesus appeared to him in noonday, brighter than the sun, and he saved him. And then Paul went into Damascus, and for three years he went to Arabia, and it was just him and his Bible and the Lord teaching him firsthand. That's why in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 1, he says, I'm an apostle not through man. I didn't go to Calvary Chapel Bible College. You know, I didn't go to Biola. I didn't go to APU. I didn't go to seminary. I got my stuff from Jesus himself. And so, you know, he said, that which I received from the Lord, I delivered to you. So Paul, even though he was untrained in speech, he was not in knowledge. He really knew what he was talking about. He was an apostle with a capital A. See, one thing I want to share with you guys is this, that an apostle, we still have the, the function of an apostle. It literally means someone who's sent, but we no longer have the office of an apostle. That's the 12th. That's, you know, Peter, James, and John. When Judas fell and uh, betrayed the Lord, Paul replaced him. Those are the 12. Those are the ones that went out and changed the world. Those are the ones who gave us doctrine. They gave us truth. They gave us the message of Christ. That's who Paul was. He may not have been the best speaker, but he knew the truth. And he shared it with them, right? And, and he says there at the end of verse 6, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. In other words, it's evident you should know. Man, it's been clearly seen and proven that we're apostles. And so we begin, first of all, understanding who he was. It's important to understand that. But then secondly, what he did. Look at verse 7. He said, Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them, to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. Who was he? He was an apostle with a capital A. I mean, he was, you know, he was bad, man. He was... One of the twelve. Think about that, right? But what did he do with that? You know, you know what he did? He didn't exercise his apostolic authority in Corinth. 
by receiving compensation from them. He was wise. He was always led by the Lord. He humbled himself, we read right here in verse 7. He humbled himself. He exalted the Corinthians, right? And he preached the gospel for free. Think about that. Apparently, this was frowned upon in certain circles. It, it, you know, it made it seem like he was just a, a normal guy. He's just a regular guy. He doesn't you know, prop himself up. He doesn't esteem himself in any way. I mean, he just taught the Bible, uh, no charge to the Corinthians. He did it for a year and a half. It's a long time. You know, during that ministry, what we find is the Philippian church, they sent aid time and time again. So they were the ones from Macedonia supplying his needs. You read there in verse 8 through 9. And so, you know, what was happening was the guys in Corinth were saying, Paul can't be all that. He can't be special. He can't be an apostle because he doesn't even charge. You know, we're special. And as a matter of fact, they came into the church. Imagine if someone came in here and they said, you know what, we're going to take over. We're going to take over and you better pay us some big bucks. Now, what would you guys do if that happened? You'd sock him, right? Right? <laughs> I mean, I know you guys. You're smarter than that. You'd be like, what? Not even, man. We have a beautiful church. We got some really cool leaders that, that love the Lord. You're weird, you know? Why is that, though? It's because you know the Bible well. You know, you know the Lord. You're Christians, man. But believe it or not, there's a lot of people out there, they don't know that. They don't know that. They think that if someone comes in and takes charge and takes over and tells them to give them money, that, oh, that must mean that they're that they're special, especially if they're really good speakers, really gifted. Oh, yeah. See, and that was what was going on there, right? You know, and I know you guys, you would see right through that, most of you anyways, that they're wolves, and you would identify them as false prophets who are prophets for a prophet, jockeying for position. They want the pulpit for their own purposes, you know, but unfortunately, the Corinthians, they weren't that smart, right? And so, you know, they thought the reason that Paul was free was because he wasn't anointed, right? He wasn't as appointed as these guys. And so the day came in and they took over. They said, we're the real McCoy. We're the real deal. And so here's the deal. You know what? You got to do what we say and you got to pay. And, and Paul's like, you know, what's up with that? You guys are thinking that they must be important because of that? And let me just say this to you guys, man. There's a, there's a lot of uh, teachers, leaders, pastors, evangelists that unfortunately are like that. We need a balance. 1 Timothy 5.18, it says the labor is worthy of his wages. You know, I was reading stories and, you know, because we can go to the other extreme and there's a guy over here, he's just, you know, working paycheck to paycheck and he gets invited to speak up at a retreat and, uh, you know, he does five studies and, uh, you know, d offers himself to be available for counseling afterwards. A real, real neat sacrificial work. And then when it's time for him to go home, they say, here's a T-shirt, you know, and have a nice drive. And, and he's like, you know, for me, I, I think that I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I would be like, well, you know, we're going to give you at least gas money, you know, for coming up here, right? So there's a balance. But at the other end of the spectrum, you've got some people that are really in it for the money and not just the money because that right there is bad in and of itself if you're in it just for the money but if you're in it for a lot of money then you're in trouble and all these guys that are getting rich off the people when they stand before God one day they're going to be in big trouble 
I can't believe it, how they get so rich off the poor. It's crazy. But we see that. That was what was going on in Corinth. Paul saw it. He wasn't like that. When he went to Corinth, he said, well, well when I'm here, I'm going to be supported by the Philippian church. You know, when he was with the Philippians, they supported him. In Ephesus, he worked. It was just different things as God would lead him. See, and for us, we've got to know the distinction. You know, to demand pay is sin. You know, if that guy says, I'll go speak at that function if you pay me, I think it's sin, right? And if someone does it for the money, it's sin. To fleece the flock and get rich is sin. And one day, men will pay when they stand before the Lord. And, I, and I'm sure you guys have heard so many stories of uh, guys, you know, I don't know, pilfering, you know, getting rich off the people. I, I'll tell you one story, because um, I know you guys like the juicy, juicy. I know how you guys are, man. <laughs> you know, and it's like, uh, um, but I, I mean, you know, I could tell you a lot. I could tell you a lot, but you guys have heard of that guy, T.D. Jakes? Weird, man, weird. And I don't know if he's repented now, you know, but, um, you know, first of all, he, he, he doesn't believe in the Trinity, so that's enough for me. But secondly, you know how much he charges to speak at an engagement? A hundred thousand dollars. Two thousand seven, uh, Teen Mania paid him a hundred thousand dollars. On top of that, he had to have the presidential suite. He demanded that. He demanded a luxurious green room. Um, not only that, then they laid uh, upon him extravagant, you know, flowers. They gave gifts to his wife and children, and uh, you name it: iPods, iPod, uh, iTunes cards. I mean, it was just. It was. It came out to approximately one hundred and forty thousand dollars for one night of speaking. See, and that's what I'm talking about. That's out there in the church. You know what we find, you guys, is Paul says, "Hey, I'm not in it for the money." He right here did not exercise his apostolic authority in order to receive compensation from the Corinthians. I mean, contrast that to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 18. He says, what is my reward? Then that, I, that when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. So here's a man who says, my reward is to preach it without charge. And here's a man who says, I'll preach it if you pay me $100,000. And it doesn't even matter if it's $1,000. I mean, we have, not in this church, but in other churches that have been involved, and we invited, hey, will you come and speak at our men's retreat? And they write a letter back, okay, if there's 500 men there, I will. And if you give me $500, I will. What does God think of that? It doesn't matter how many people are there. It shouldn't matter how much money they give you. I'm not saying you got to go and speak everywhere, but just pray. Lord, what do you want me to do? I'll go there if you want me to. That's how we should be. Pastor Chuck, you know, when he first started, 
you know, he did, first church that he was involved in, they paid him $15 a month. And so, um, I'm sorry, a week. And so um, in the second church he was involved in, he got a raise $25 a week. It was, still wasn't enough. The third one, it went down, <laughs> you know, $20 a week. And so naturally for the first 17 years, it was impossible for him, you know, to be on staff, right? And so he worked outside the, the, the ministry, you know, to support that, that tent maker's mentality. And, and it was necessary, he said this, it was necessary that I work and I gladly did in order to stay in the ministry because I wasn't ministering in order to get money. I was in the ministry because God called me into the ministry. See, that and that right there. And then what ended up happening? God just blessed Costa Mesa in such a way. I mean, so blessed them, you know. Um, and, and the heart, that's the heart that Paul had. These false apostles were in the ministry for the money. Paul wasn't. Paul was in it because he was called by Christ. The Lord called him into this region, and he believed that through this region, God wanted him to reach even farther. You see, what he did is that, number one, he didn't exercise his apostolic authority to get money from them. And number two, he didn't relinquish his apostolic authority either. Uh, look what we read in, in verse 10. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. You know, it was like, he was just saying, when I, I know the Lord was with me when we started the church there, and he was just saying, and, and these guys, you know, they're coming in, they're, they're preaching heresy, a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. They're trying to take you away from me because I believe that I'm a representative of the Lord. He said, but no, you're my boast. You're the ministry I'm responsible for. And this is what he says, and no one will stop me. And I love that resolve. I love that. Because I tell you what, it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or an usher or you're teaching the two-year-olds or the 20-year-olds or you're leading worship or you're making CDs. It doesn't matter what part of the body you're in. The devil will try to stop you. And you have to have it in your heart that no one will stop me. Why? Because God put you there. God did, not man. And I love his resolve. He says, man, I'm not going to relinquish my apostolic authority. Paul knew he was true. That's what he says there in verse 10. As the truth of Christ is in me, I'm not lying. Man, this is true. So he was determined and he was resolute his mind was made up that no one would stop him. You know, the false prophets were trying to take away this area from him of Achaia, which would more or less be modern-day Greece. And Paul said, no. You know, I like kind of like what, what Moses said, you know, no way, not a hoof, nothing will be given away. You, you see who Paul was. You see what Paul did. And then you see why he did it. In verse 11, we see, first of all, why, he says, because I do not love you, God knows. 
So why do you do it? Why do you do ministry? I hope it's for love. I love you, Lord. I want them to go to heaven. I want them to have a blessed life. I want them to have a beautiful marriage. I want their kids to be blessed. I want them to avoid the unnecessary tragedies of life. I want them to be free from drugs and alcohol. I want them to be pure. I love them. I want them to be everything that God called them to be. Paul said, why do I do this? Because I don't love you? God knows. I mean, this guy was so real, you know? I mean... God knows. God knows I love you. God knows that. You know, it reminds me, because really that's the, you know, they say the motive of the ministry is love. Really that's the reason, you know, and that's the whole heart of our calling. When Jesus was restoring Peter into ministry, you know, what did Jesus ask Peter three times? Remember, he just said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you? That's what it's all about. It's do you love Jesus? And he was like, yeah, Lord, I like you. Yeah, Lord, I like you. Lord, you know what's cool about that is Peter was being honest. And some of us here, I even think about that myself. I'm like, Lord, I love you, but man, I wonder if I love you. There's a psalm that says, I will love the Lord, my God, my strength. It's like, I'm almost like not there yet. You know, but one day I'm hoping I will be, Lord. But it's, that's, that's the heart. And, and, and then Peter says at the end, the third time, he says, Lord, you know, you know all things. And he says, you know that I phileo you. I like you. And God met him there. You know, why did he do what he did? It's, it's for love. You know, I, I do like to teach, to be honest with you, um, even though it's draining and, and a lot of times afterwards my brain doesn't work. But I like to teach. But more than that, you know, someone says, I, I love to teach. But here's a question. Do you love the people you teach? Well, I love the truth. And some people, they love the truth. But do you love the people you're teaching that truth to? Do you love the God you're teaching that truth for? See, God knows. Paul loved them. And yet, in a general sense, that love was not reciprocated. If you go to, the again, the next page, uh, chapter 12 of this book, notice what he says in verse 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent... For your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Welcome to the ministry. Welcome to parenthood sometimes, huh? It takes a while, man, but a lot, you know, they'll come around. You just keep loving them. Keep loving them, right? I mean, it's okay. You know, uh, that's actually the test of, of true love. 
will you seek their best even if you get nothing in return? And can you look into their eyes without trying to find the reflection of yourself? Will you love them just for them, not for yourself? That, that's the ministry. And, and you know, of course, sometimes that love is a pampering love. But a lot of times that love is a protective love. And God gives you wisdom on how to exercise that love, right? See, Paul did this, number one, because of love, but number two, because of Lucifer. Look what we read next in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 11. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And, you know, no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their work. Why do you do this? Why do you serve in the ministry? You know, and it's number one, because of love, and number two, you know, because Lucifer, you know there's a battle going on. Earlier we were praying for a young man named David, and I always think of that scripture, John 10.10, 10, when I think of suicide and how the devil wants to come in and steal, kill, and destroy the agenda of our adversary. But Jesus said, but I have come that they may have life and that more abundantly. I know there's a battle going on. I know that the devil's lying to you. I know that he's deceiving and trapping and you name it. He's using the, the World Wide Web and social media. I mean, he's using every avenue he can to get you out of the will of God and into his own will. God has a plan for your life, but so does the devil. And so he said, man, I know the way the enemy works, and so I'm going to fight for you, right? I mean, these false teachers, they crept into the Corinthian congregation, swaying them away from Paul, wanting to replace him, to wanting to be, it says right there, to be regarded just as Paul was. But Paul said, no, they teach a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. They're in it for position. They're in it for the money. And I will do all I can to cut off what they see as an opportunity for themselves. Paul calls them false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as angels of light. Have you ever seen an angel of light? Some of you guys here, none of you here? I would imagine they're beautiful. Wouldn't you say? An angel of light. Wow. You know, I think of uh, um, Galatians chapter 1 where Paul says, Even if we or an angel of light preach to you any other gospel, you know, let him be a curse. And then he repeats it again. You know, I mean, what would you do if you saw an angel of light? And the angel of light appears to you one day and says, you know, pray to me. What would you do? You would say, that's not the Lord. Ah, oh, but it's so beautiful. Ah, oh, but it's so glorious. Ah, oh, but I had this, you know, funny feeling in my tummy, man. But, you know, you got to test it according to the word. Right, I think of the apparitions the Catholic Church claims that Mary... Gave, right? We got the Our Lady of Guadalupe right down the street. Did you guys ever used to go there? Heathens, right? No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just saying, you know, Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of Fatima, Our Lady of, was it, Lords? 
And, you know, they say that Mary appeared to them and is this glorious. And you know what? I'm not here to say that it didn't happen. I don't know. I just know it wasn't Mary. Because Mary would say, oh, my son. If it, the real Mary would say, you know, my son. But this Mary, she said, pray to me. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with you. I shouldn't even do that, huh? <laughs> Holy Mary, mother of God. What? See, that's how you can tell it's not the Lord. It could be a glorious angel of light, but if they tell you anything different than Scripture, then you know, right, it's not the Lord. The enemy comes in, and I, and I just want to warn you guys, man. You know, the Bible speaks of false Christs, false prophets, false apostles, false teachers. And if you follow them or if you're influenced by them, then you might end up being a false Christian, with a false assurance, one day you die and you find that you don't know the Lord, right? All those false, you know, fellas are in the family of the fallen angel, Lucifer himself. He started as an angel of light, the Bible says, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, and therefore he's able to transform himself into an angel of light. And not just a glorious image, it's somebody that you look at them and you're like, man, they got the look of like the perfect whatever, pastor, they got the look, they're so glorious. doesn't mean it's the Lord, right? I mean, of course we know the devil wouldn't appear, at least I hope you guys know, you know, in a red suit with a ponytail, a pitchfork, and a horn. You guys know that, right? Shakespeare said, the devil hath power to assume a pleasing shape. Whatever that perfect picture is, man, there it comes, Right? And he comes in all uh, shapes to please all people. As a matter of fact, it's been said that anything the devil does is done well. So he's hard to detect sometimes. The one hard to discern is when he comes as a wolf in sheep's clothing and he claims to be a Christian just to do damage among the disciples. We really need to be on guard. A.W. Tozer said the whole world has been booby-trapped by the devil and the deadliest trap of all is religion. There's a Scottish proverb. It says the devil's boots don't creak. And what that means is that he sneaks up on you, right? And you guys, just be careful, man. I, I don't know like where you guys came from. Like, I, I, Maybe I could just ask you this. Like, where are you from? No, I won't ask you that, you know. <laughs> Like some of you guys, you know, you came with, you have a really good uh, upbringing. Some of you here, this is your first time ever being taught the Bible. And so you turn on the television, and, you know, it's such a, a beautiful setting and whatever, and you're thinking that it's Christian, and a lot of times it's not. You can hear them on the radio, or their books, or bestsellers. You know, you go to Barnes & Noble, and you look in the Christian section, and you think it's right on. A lot of times it's not. You can go on these blogs on the internet, and they're just little, subtle ways they move you away from the Lord, right? And so for us, we have to be so careful it's all part of the devil's plan to destroy us. He hates God, and therefore he hates the people that God loves. God loves you. God loves you. And that's why the devil hates you, because he hates God. And that's why, you know, I just really, I just, I just encourage you today, you know, to come to that love, to respond to that love, to give your life to the one who loves you, man. You know, I mean, what we see, Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty two that a lot of people are going to come to him and say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. And he's going to say, well, I didn't really know you, right? 
He warned about them in Matthew 7.15, Beware of false prophets, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Just want you to go to heaven. Just want to, you know, do the Almani reunion with the Garden of Sada on the north side of heaven right there. One day we'll be there, you guys, forever and ever and ever. You don't want to look back one day on your life and have a whole bunch of regrets. No woulda, coulda, shouldas. You know, um, I was thinking about that guy, uh, Utley, the Dodger guy that slid last night. Did you guys see that? That was cool, huh? No, I'm just joking. Eh? I was thinking, okay, I know some people are going to criticize him. Um, and, you know, obviously not Dodger fans. But, um, no, I'm just joking. What, what do they say? They just say, and I don't think he intended to break the shortstop's leg. I mean, I just think that was, oh, you guys didn't hear about that? Oh, okay, never mind. You can see it on YouTube. Anyways, um, <sighs> this, is, this is what I'm saying. He was all in, completely aggressive. I mean, just like, boom. And I don't want to break anybody's leg or anything, you know. But I think a lot of times we're just like, what's like, man, you know, what, you don't want to win? What, you don't want to win? You don't want to win glory to God? You don't want to win rewards that will bring glory to God? Why are you half-hearted? You know, I just think when I look at this right here, I'm like, Lord, I don't want us to miss out on heaven, and I don't want us to miss out on heaven on earth. And so if we don't do things right, look what happens in the end as we close. It says right there, whose end will be according to their works. Where is it going to end up? The road that you're on, where is it going to end up? For these guys right here, one day, according to their works, the message says they're going to pay for it, right? Philippians 4, 18 through 19 says, From any walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction. So you follow the Lord. You follow the Lord. You follow His Word. You follow His ministers. You follow. You lead all the way to heaven. Because if you start getting sidetracked in all these different things, they will lead you somewhere else and what we see right here is these guys man they're heading for destruction let me tell you something you don't want to go there jesus was nailed to a cross for you so you don't have to go to hell and so my my prayer you guys is that you would just in that simple message you know know how much he loves you repent of your sins and receive jesus christ as the lord and and savior of your life and that you do it today man as we partake of communion, you know, you want to make sure that you're a believer. And you want to make sure that you've given him your heart. And then you watch what God will do, man. He'll just blow your minds. Man, life is good when you do it God's way. I mean, I always think of marriages and how when you marriage is Christ-centered, it's kind of like heaven. But when it's not, it's kind of like another place. You know what I'm saying? Our life, let our life be Christ-centered. We hope you were encouraged by this study.
If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.